You may find this hard to believe, but 60 songs that explain the 90s, America's favorite poorly named music podcast is back with 30 more songs than 120 songs total. I am your host, Rob Harvilla, here to bring you more shrewd musical analysis, poignant nostalgic reveries, crude personal anecdotes, and rad special guests all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws that Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here, Raja Bell there. Real ones. What's poppin', Raja? How you doing, bud? You got your Nike... uh, I don't know. It's, it's got like the. This is like the. You got your Nike uh, wasp beat, uh, jacket, whatever hoodie mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. that looks like you look like the OG that like still like has respect from the youngins, but is clearly washed. What's going but, on? I mean, first of all, you tried really hard on that. Like, I think that. I mean, you stretched I it did. a bit there. Uh, uh, this was this was some shit. I went in there. You know, I rolled in. I looked over. I said, "Oh fuck, man, I got to go talk to Logan." What? Let me get myself together. And so this is what I saw, and I threw it on. This is for you, my dog. This is for you. <laughs> Bro. This is how much I care right here. Here you go. You see yeah, it? I appreciate it. You gave yeah. me a, you, you, sh- you, you threw a free Nike hoodie out for me. I really appreciate <laughs> that. But no, nah, on the real, it's hella funny because like in the beginning, because I wait, we do our Thursday pods at like 830 in the morning, right? So that means I wake up at 815. And so, <laughs> and so my day is getting like forcing myself up out of bed on the Thursday episodes and trying to find a perfect hat to wear uh, uh, just to just like look around because I ain't got a cut in like three weeks. I'm just been, it's been, a, it's been whack. So I, I feel you just, you know, I'm just trying to make light in this morning conversation around That's all I'm trying to do. You know, I'm just trying to try to wake myself up and wake my game up. No, I can appreciate fun it. Of you. you the rambling. I mean? Sometimes you ramble long enough. And then you ramble onto some shit. You know what I mean? Mm. So, like, I can truly appreciate that. It's part of my game. Been doing it for a while. Mm. Wow. There we go. I don't have a transition for this, but we're going to talk about coaches' firings and the recent coaches' firings and what they mean for the NBA. <sighs> we don't like people being on the unemployment line, um, but we got Nick Nurse. We have Mike Budenholzer. We have Monty Williams. And we have Doc Rivers all fired in the last month, which is interesting because, like, these are very established names, Raja. These are very, um, these are very accomplished names. These are very, you know, good coaches by and large. And I don't know if this is like a thing, but this is the first time during a coaching firing carousel that I have seen other established coaches feel shook. Like I, like Steve Kerr was like, I don't even know. They asked him about his extension. He's like, with this market, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to have a job to stretch um, as in, in the next few years, right? Then you have Eric Spolstra, also pre uh, the pregame before game one, um, saying, I've been thinking more about the great proven experienced coaches that have lost their jobs. It doesn't make sense to me. It's really been disturbing. Raja, we grew up both in this era where coaches stick, at least the good coaches, which is this list is the really good coaches. They stick. I'm talking about the the Greg Popoviches of the world, right? 
talking about coaches of that ilk, the mm-hmm. Eric Spolstras of the world, right? These established guys that are just a part of the framework and the establishment of that organization to the point, Steve Kerr, to the point where their names are synonymous with that that organization. Now it seems like even the the, the experienced coaches aren't getting the benefit of the doubt. Raja, is this the new normal where a lot of these a lot of these established coaches are just going to be like everybody else in the coming years? The names you mentioned in terms of Pop and Steve Kerr, Spo, they're they're in organizations I think that are really stable from the top down. Not that some of those other organizations aren't, but these are particularly stable organizations. I don't see them falling into this 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 new norm if if that's what we want to call it. Um, now, if one of them were to say, "Hey, I've been doing this long enough," you know, I don't, my heart's not in it anymore, or something like that, or if behind closed doors, like that conversation's happening, you know, if there's some sort of real fall off in terms of the commitment that those coaches are displaying on a day to day, I can't tell you that they won't get fired or or something like that, but. I don't see them falling into what's happening now, which is just the impatience, you know, like, and, and I think that's the word I would use to describe w- what I see with some of these firings. It's just general impatience. Like we live in this, what have you done for me lately? I want my results right now type of world. Like, you know, we're on the phones, we're on the, the, the iPads or what have you. Everyone wants their, their, their fulfillment right now. Like you see it with kids and parents and gyms when you're working with them at the youth level, they want to be stars right now. And you're like, you're in this fifth or sixth, seventh grade, dude. Like, that's not how this works, but this is the world that we live in. And so, you know, there's, while it is a little surprising, it shouldn't be that, you know, if you aren't producing to the tune of championships, um, and some of these organizations that historically, maybe not the most stable, someone is going to sit there in an office and put your head on the block. And, you know, I think there are a few things that go into that, Logan. Number one, you're kind of a victim of your own success in some regards, right? Like you yeah. go out there and you you win a championship or get really close with the roster. And let's say that's a slightly flawed roster. And your coaching is one of the main reasons that you guys are even in the conversation to be able to win a championship. That's not a sustainable recipe when the roster isn't great. You did a hell of a job. Well, those expectations are get us back there, regardless of what I give you to, to, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Hey, I'm going to give you what I give you and I expect you to get me back there. And if you can't, you're going to get fired before I do. If I'm the GM, you know what I'm saying? So now you're fired. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So you're a victim of your own success, like uh, uh, to some degree, you know, then, then there comes that component about, you know, the hierarchy and who would be fired first. And, you know, a lot of times when, when things aren't going well, you know, the executive has the, the power to say, Hey, let me make this coaching change. You know, I think, I think that we're getting it right. I think that our pieces, you know, aren't the problem. And that's in some cases just self-preservation, you know, that's human nature. Like shit. I mean, who, whose family is going to be relocating the coaches or mine the coaches? I tell you what, mine ain't going to be, mine ain't going to be relocated. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I'm saying? So there, I mean, there's yeah. a lot that goes into it, but I don't, I don't think that we, we should necessarily be surprised because that's the world that we live in, quite frankly. It's interesting because it seems like you're talking about this first coach that is on the list that has been made by our esteemed producer, Third Eye Kai, mm-hmm. um, Nick Nurse, who is basically what you're describing, right? Wins this first championship his first year in Toronto, um, the first championship in franchise history. And then you see Toronto come to expect this year in and year out, at least to be competing for titles. And, and, and I think that what people fail to realize is, you know, the Raptors got Kawhi Leonard for a year and had the perfect team around Kawhi Leonard for a year. You take Kawhi Leonard out of that equation. This is a really, really solid team, but it ain't no championship team. And so year after year, this team, you know, overachieves or is right where they need to be. That's not the fault of the coach, in my opinion. You know, this is from the outside looking in. This is from 3,000 miles away. But when you see that, when you hear what you're talking about, Raja, and, you know, teams that, yo, man, this is this league is hard. This league is really, really hard. And yep. you're going to have to build year in and year out and year in and year out. Uh, with the Nick Nurse situation, I just can't help but think, like, it just this is from the outside looking in. It looks like 
man, they just needed to change a pace because everybody just got tired of each other. <laughs> That's what it looked like. That's what it seems like. And how much of that is a factor when, you know, how much is the, the how much of that is it a factor? Two team uh, people having to coexist in two different frameworks having to coexist for a long time. How much is that needed? And how, how much does that speak to how special, like maybe a, Popovich relationship with the Spurs, right? Or a Spo relationship with the Heat. How how much of that is 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 paramount between the relationships between those two sides? No, it's a great question and and it's a great point. And and we take it for granted, like we do with a lot of things that are just extraordinary and you're just used to seeing them and you start thinking that that, that is the way it works all the time. And it's just so not to have, you know, Pops and Spo's and and Steve Kerr's in lockstep with with the the executives who are then in lockstep with the the owners and then everything just moves accordingly and typically those franchises are really really successful ones right and and there's a there's a select few that you could put in that category and everybody else kind of falls in or not everybody else there's some that fall into a we're semi functional like we can get it together for a while and then there are others that have just been shit shows for a long time right um, yeah but I I think. You know, we, we've talked about this and, and you know, I don't know if you remember, there's a couple pods ago and we were talking about what happened to the Sixers. And while I was laying blame at the feet of Joel and, and James, I also touched on Doc and kind of drew a comparison to, to Quinn Snyder when, when I said his message was getting a little old, potentially, in Utah. And that message doesn't always have to be, I think you hit a great point that I don't speak about enough, that doesn't always have to be from player to coach. Right. It doesn't have to be that message. It's your overall because so much of that job outside of the scope of player to coach when you're dealing with them, because that's a huge part of it. But another huge part of it is the relationship between the executives, the front office and the coach. Is our vision aligned? Do we agree on how we should be moving? Um, what pieces do we think we need to target? What pieces do we think are here? And despite the fact that we might have spent money on them, don't seem to be working. So can we pivot off of that? And these are conversations that are fluid, that are happening all the time. And not everyone agrees on that. And it becomes even more difficult when you've experienced a level of success and the windows open. And let's say like Toronto, for instance, you're absolutely right. I mean, they were doing a really good job. They had a nice roster, but boom, in, in comes Kawhi. And now it's it's championship or bust. But when Kawhi leaves, you're not a championship squad. You're not. Like, in no one's world are you a championship squad. Except your own. And, you know, I think Nick Nurse was one of the coaches that I would say I could watch a game and say definitively, he's in his bag. <laughs> yeah. No, Nick Nurse is in his bag. I'm watching it. This man has just flipped. What out are you of, seeing from? What are you seeing on the? On the what's the screen telling you, Ra? What's the screen? What, what are they telling you? Is the ATOs? What's popping when you see a Nick Nurse coach team? Well, it's the entirety of it, man. And I, I mean, I need to break down a game to really get in my bag. But you know, you're talking about you know sets, ATOs, strategically called you know timeouts. We'll get to that later about last night. Sub patterns, ability to flip in and out of defenses, you know, willingness to try something that's outside of the scope of of quote unquote acceptable in the NBA. You know, like he he's willing to throw shit at it to try to solve the problem in a way that you don't see every coach in the NBA doing. So I I think Nick Nurse is a very very good coach. So when 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 you let him go, I mean that does speak to like, and man, you got me out there. Like I love Fred VanVleet. Pascal Siakam is is a, I'm a fan. I like all of these players. OG, um, Scotty's from right around the block. Like I love all of these players, but you're not handing me a championship level squad. Like, and I'm doing my best. And so, you know, a lot of it can be that relationship between front office and coach. Like, hey man, are we on the same page? And you know, well, you know, this is what you. I got to go out there and coach this every night. You sit up there in a suit and just move numbers around and stuff like that. And on the flip side, the the numbers, the numbers movers and, and the guys in the suits are like, look, we've given you what we think, you know, can get it done and you're not getting it done. And that relationship can become, you know, stressed. And then there's also another component to this, which is what we're seeing in Phoenix with Monty Williams, which is the new ownership and wanting to make a splash immediately. Right. And wanting to and it's not even just wanting to make a splash immediately. And this is not just a a basketball or a sports thing 
when someone is there, whenever there's a new regime, there's going to be changes within the framework of that organization. And we're seeing that in Phoenix. Why specifically in basketball do typically do new owners and new ownership want to clean house and make their own? Do they want to, why, why does that happen as opposed to, you know, you see Ronnie Williams and on paper, he's really good for Phoenix, right? Uh, got them to the finals in 2021 has a, uh, a 600 winning percentage, right? Gotten to the postseason almost every year he's been there, right? Gone through injuries and and got them to winning 60 games in a season. What when you look at that and what that what's going on in that situation with the new ownership and wanting changes? What does that tell you about where that team is and and where they want to go? Sorry, sorry, bud. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, again, I don't know Matt. I don't know Matt. Matt Ishbia, I, I did, you know, get a nice email from him inviting us out to, to, to the playoffs and we couldn't go. And, and so he seems like a nice guy, but that's the only capacity I know him in. Right. Um, never looked him in the eye or shaking hands or anything like that. Monty falls into a little bit of a different category for me as a coach. Not, I don't know that one's any better than the other, but I, I, I don't, I don't watch a game and feel like Monty's absolutely in his bag all the time. Um, right. But I think he is a great coach with great um, personal skills. He is a leader of men. I think he he has a, a true leadership type of command of a team, and he's relatable in a way that people respect and will play for him. Um, I think he can establish culture and mindset um, as as good as anyone, and so you know, different coaches have different strengths and weaknesses, and 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 um, you know, I I see Monty as such. So with with all of the success, and 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 also, you know, we talked about Nick Nurse. They won a championship. Monty's been knocking on the door, hasn't gotten over the hump. And so, in fairness, I mean, if if you don't get over the hump, it gives me a little bit more support for 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 the the firing. If I were to do that. Now, as far as Matt Ishbia goes, not that I support it, I want to be clear. But if I if I were making a case for that, you haven't gotten over the hump. We've been knocking on the door. Um, I thought it was, I mean, I don't know, outside of the out of the side of the Suns verse, if they don't get Kevin Durant, is anybody putting them in championship conversation this year? Honestly, if they didn't get Kevin Durant, then they're probably not gonna they're probably gonna look like a way different team next year. They're probably already gonna look like a way different team, but they're they're not they're not they're but not no, no, looking no. forward to winning the title. Is to answer your question, they're not looking forward to winning the title, but they're also probably like breaking this whole shit down if KD doesn't get traded there. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I would just at the end of this year, I guess, and the pressure that was applied to Monty's job, the fire that was lit under it, I think KD, you know, unfairly expedited that to some degree because if he's not there, I don't think that losing when you lost in the playoffs is even an issue. Who gives a shit? Like we weren't. I mean, now all of that could be moot because when, this is what I think a lot of owners do. It's look, if, if this is going to work or if it should not work, I want to be able to say that I did it my way. I can sleep at night if it's my vision and I execute my vision and it doesn't work. But if it doesn't work and I've compromised my vision and what I really believe in and put stock in at all, it's going to haunt me. And so I don't, that's what you see when people come in and want what they want in, in, in the big seat, my vision, because if it doesn't work, I want to be able to say, well, shit, I just wasn't, I wasn't good enough. I don't want to be able to point and say, damn, I let Logan talk me into some shit and I didn't believe it. And it didn't I'm sorry, work. Sorry, Raja, my bad. <laughs> right. But you understand what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so I think, I think you see that with ownership, Steve Kerr, when he came to the Suns. Um, and I was on the roster there and I forget what the decision was and maybe it was the Terry Porter hire. It was something that happened there. And I, I remember asking him and he said something that I always remember. He said, look, when you get a, when you get a new job and you're new in a place, there's a small window that you have to affect change. If you don't affect it in that window, you can't do it. And so I think you see a lot of owners say, listen, I'm going to come in. I'm not, I'm not messing around with this. This is my vision. Here we go. This is what I think happened with Matt Ishbia. And Monty Williams. 
because I was in Phoenix for a little bit during that time. And I'm not reporting anything that hasn't already been necessarily reported or implied, but I know what I saw. Uh, His first, uh, Matt Ishbia's first postseason series seeing his new team was against the Clippers, against a coach and Ty Lue, who me and you talk about all the time on this podcast. So what Matt Ishbia saw was Ty Lue at times outcoaching Monty Williams and Mm -hmm. saying, I want that. I want to get him. And I think that the Suns are going to make a run at Ty Lue. Now, I know Ty Lue is under contract and all of these things, right? But I think that was the mindset of like, oh, I'm in here. This is this coach right here is out coaching my coach and is um, is doing what he has to do, making this series harder than it needs to be for my team. And th- for whether you like it or not, that was those last few months was an auditioning process for Monty Williams, and in a lot of ways, he just failed for whatever reason, fair or unfair. But Matt saw what Ty Lue was doing and was like, I want that. I want something like that. And that's where we are right now, in my in my eyes. And that's okay, because, I mean, we called a spade a spade when we were watching that series. There were times where Ty Lue was, you know, giving Monty the business you know, ultimately, they got through that series, though. Um, and if Matt Ishbia decides, because that's the assessment he made, that he needs to pivot and try to find something better, that's his business. You know what I mean? Like, do what you do. I would just add, though, that when you deconstructed what Monty was really comfortable with to bring in KD, it was a, it was, it was an absolute disaster from there moving forward in terms of giving given Monty an opportunity to tinker and and feel it out and figure out how he was supposed to, you know, push buttons and move pieces in and out of the lineup. Not to mention that, I mean, you didn't even have, you didn't have enough pieces to begin with. But And you didn't even have a training camp to be able to figure this shit out, which is also not Monty's fault or Matt's fault. It's it's neither one of his fault, but that's the point I'm getting at, right? Like, you didn't have enough pieces, but because KD was in and out of the lineup and he was injured and any number of things that happened, even... Even if he were to be healthy, Logan, from the time he was traded to the playoffs, that's probably not enough time. But the fact that he then gets injured and has to sit and you're playing without him, I mean, those are all, you know, at the end of the day, I could make a case for for why, you know, you don't even really know what Monty could do with that. But it's his call. It's the world we're living in. It's the league, right? That's, it's, that's what the fuck we're in. It's the league. What do you think about the Doc Rivers firing, though, right? Where it's a guy that's an established name but also, I think you alluded to this previously in, in this pod, where the guys kind of are who they are, and they do have this track record, right? Do those guys like the Doc Rivers, while they're established names, do they get a shorter lease just because of the track record? You get what I'm saying? Where this has been a year-in, year-out occurrence under Doc Rivers' teams, even dating back to, like, let's say from 09 on, after the Ubuntu Celtics. This has kind of been a pattern for him losing... Um, these types of postseason series. So when you see this happening, then you're like, okay, it's time. We've seen enough. We're going to go on to the next coach. Do you do you think it's one of those things or something different? I, I would imagine, I heard some, I heard, I mean, this is just a little rumor mill about relationships and and lack thereof between, you know, a star and, and I don't know, like, and I'm not reporting that. I, I just don't, I don't know. But I think, I don't necessarily, I think Doc is fully capable of winning championships. Having said that, I can't ignore, you know, the, 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 the shortcomings that have, that have been what his last, I mean, since Boston, his last, whatever amount of attempts, 15 years. And so, you know, I think to some degree, some of these coaches, when, when they're there over and over again, fall into this bucket of like, he can get us to this point but might not be able to get us over the top. And in, on one hand, there are not a lot of people that can even get us to that point. So you're on a short list to begin with because there are not a lot of people that you would trust to even get you to that point. And then when you're there, you're like, well, shit, man, like this isn't enough. We got, it's like, it's human nature. Again, I want more. And so now I need someone who I think can get me over the top. And I think, I think for, for, for whatever you know, it's, it's not for whatever reason. I mean, it's his track record at this point. I think he's falling into that category where you might not need a whole lot of sample size to realize if you're close enough that maybe, 
maybe we got to move on. And you know, I, that's unfortunate. That's so interesting to me, though, because like the Sixers were at this point when they hired Doc Rivers. You know, they were at this point of like, we need someone to take us over the top. Brett Brown is not doing this. We need to get to another coach. And it's interesting if by your um, argument just now that they would pick a guy like Doc Rivers who can get you to a point, can get you to the consistently to the semifinals and the conference finals, maybe a finals appearance, but his track record suggests that his teams falter. You go back to the Clippers, 3-1 series uh, collapse. You go back, you just go back and you see all these different types of collapses. It's just interesting that they would would go into that knowing all of these things, that the Sixers would go would would hire him based on, if that's the argument, right? Well, I don't know that that's the argument. That's the argument that I just laid forth. But but to your point, yeah, you. I mean, you may have something there if you're already kind of knocking at the door and, I, and if I'm telling you that's the reason. But I don't know unequivocally if that's the reason. I, I would just say this. First of all, there are not a lot of guys. There are not a lot of guys, proven entities, right? And in some cases, when you're that close, you will take a swing at something that's already done it and gets, man, I think he'll get us over the top, even though he hasn't gotten over the top the last few times. But I know at minimum it's going to look like this before you take a swing on an absolute unknown. Because there are just not a lot of dudes out there that even can get in Doc's category. And we make, you know, I'm telling you, I'm a Doc fan. So while people give him all of this shit, I mean, yeah, you know, he hasn't always got it done, but there ain't a lot of people that that get to where his teams are anyway, right? Like, it's a, it's a short list regardless. And the other point, um, that's that's really, you know, interesting. As I went through this with with the Cavs, is the interview process. And this is yeah. the interview process is is it's really interesting because I know for a fact some young coaches that I think are really really good basketball minds go into interviews and don't handle themselves well. Okay, this is a hold on really quickly. This is a really really interesting thing that you brought up because I, I do want to I want to talk about this. Because I was, it's interesting because I was in SAC, like, obviously, like last month, right? Just reporting this King story and was talking to Mike Brown and talking to people around Mike Brown for this piece, right? And they were talking about his interview process and and he was talking to me about his interview process and about how every time he would go into an interview, he even, he would just take the interview because he knew, even if he knew he wouldn't get the job, to practice, practice right? Yeah. To practice, to figure out what an inter- an, a good interview is. And what is that, Raja? Like he, I remember he had like spreadsheets in his interview and had like a Zoom thing where this is what I, this is how I'll, I'll do practice, right? This is how I will conduct back to backs. This is how I'll conduct these things and really just um, laying out his whole foundation of how he will take this job, right? What is an interview process like and what blows organizations away in an interview process and how do you practice for these things? Well, I think every 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 interview is going to be different, right? I mean, you know, typically you're going to have your owner, your general manager, your your small circle of people that the general manager really trusts. Um, you're going to bring you're going to bring that coach in, and then you're going to you're going to deep dive. You're going to get into what makes him tick, what he believes in philosophically, like where what he what he likes, what he doesn't like with your roster, where he sees it moving forward, how how he's going to affect change, and that's when what you just talked about comes in, like. You, you have to have a, it's essentially a business plan. Here's my business plan. Here's how we are. Here's how I see it. This is my three year plan to get us. And it's got to encompass everything. Hey, what, what, how am I going to get the best out of Logan? He might be a young player that hasn't necessarily, you know, blossomed yet. And we had a high pick. We're not ready to move off of him. What's your game plan for Logan Murdoch? How are you going to handle, you know, pace of play defensively? We weren't great last year. These are the pieces that we have strategically. How is Kerm going to get us into our sets? How's yes? How are we? What are we going to do with, with that? Like what? Hey, what's your policy? Family room. Hey, you know, we've had issues. I mean, this has to be a deep dive organizationally from a coach on how you're going to check each box and manage these things. And I'm not saying that you always have to do that, but if you have all of that checked. I mean, you're blowing people out of the water in terms of preparedness, right? Know that roster inside and out. Know know what that team did well, what they didn't do well, um, how you see those pieces being able to get better at that. I mean, all of these things are 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 things that as a, a, a as a prospective coach, you come in and you're laying those things out. You look you look really really good. But the other part of it is, you know, man, are you comfortable? Like, do you can you carry the room? Um. Is it forced conversation? 
Um, you seem like a good, like, are you too good of a dude? Are you too comfortable? Do we think that the team, you know, couldn't separate like you being their boy from you being their coach? Like I've been in instances like that where we don't know if he's ready to really draw a line of demarcation between, you know, himself and the team. Like what, there's a lot that goes into that process. And I, I was of the school of thought when I played Logan Drawl in parallel was I took every opportunity to go to any network in the summer or do any interview or hop on any TV show or do anyone's radio show because I felt the same way Mike Brown felt. I mean, I'm not going to get this job and I'm not ready to have it yet. I'm still playing, but Every time I hop in front of a camera and I got somebody in my IFB telling me to look in this camera while I'm trying to keep my train of thought, I'm going to get better at it. Because the first time I froze on ESPN, like they were, I was looking in camera A and they were, I was in mid sentence. The lights were bright. It was hot. Did I was you pull sweating. A rabbit? Listen, dog, I'm sweating already because the lights are hot. I got makeup on and I'm looking at camera A, giving my you know, dissertation of an answer. And someone comes into my IFB telling me, hey, we need you to go to camera B. And as I pan to camera B, brain shut down. Yep. I'm like, what? But but the more you do it, the more practice you have at it. And so as that as that relates to an interview, there are cats that can get up in there, have everything ironed out, have all the answers and just don't, execute well when they get behind closed doors and yeah and and sometimes when you're dealing with human beings you're dealing with with people who 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 just want to go off of of a feel sometimes when you're looking for separators sometimes it can be that oh that's tough damn bro you kind of got me triggered talking about this the fucking first time you did television bro uh <laughs> bro hey listen you talk <laughs> about hard and and in probably a seven second sound bite feeling like you paused and stretched it to like seven minutes when you're sitting there like, bro, you look real stupid looking in that camera with nothing to say, Bruh. man. What is going on? And it was gone like this. But man, that it, no. it never happened again. Bro, I remember, dog, whoever, don't go back to the NBC Sports Bay Area archives, guys. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Just don't do it, guys. Just don't do it. I remember one time we had a uh, like an impromptu interview that we weren't told about with Joe Lacob. And I was like, dog, uh, uh. I couldn't get a question in. <laughs> Normally in the, in the fucking presser at that age, <laughs> do you expect me to go on live television and say, oh, God, it was so, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit, it's hard. But, but, um, but I mean, look, I mean, all jokes aside, you know, there are, when you say like a doc, you know, and you will go back to Philly, right? Like, let's, let's put a bow on this thing. Like when the origin, the, the genesis of this was, if that's where you were as a Philly team, why would you take a swing at Doc? And I guess my point was, like, a Doc is known as a very charismatic, you know, um, a, a, along with being a very good coach. He's, he's got cool some, as shit. He's cool as shit, man. Great personal skills. He's been through this so many times. So he might get in your interview, even if you're like, yo, man, we, we're just bringing Doc in because we don't we don't necessarily see him as the exact guy for the reasons you stated Logan but yeah. we got these other guys but we're going to put Doc in the pool because you know like it fucking would be Doc proven. Rivers Doc Rivers gets in there and fucking blows you out of the water yeah like you leave that meeting like man fuck dude Doc Doc is a motherfucker you know what i mean like you you're just personal skills and interviewing Doc is a could, motherfucker bro Doc is a motherfucker like right. listen you look into his eyes long enough you're hired you got it it happens. Job it happens, is yours. Happens all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's what's uh, the only silver lining out of all these firings is a lot of fun employment going along with these guys because the check is still cashing. Hey, look, you you call it fired. I call it paid vacation. Oh, mamas. <laughs> what? With the coaching what? salaries Yo. now? Hey, I see. Hey, listen, I'm going to take this year. Okay, maybe year and a half. I can't. I can't guarantee that. Depends um, on how long my contract is. You might have to how hit much me left on the, I have on my deal. Yeah, you might have to hit me on a sat phone. I'm gonna be so far away. I don't know. Listen, I'm gonna be on a beach in one of those on one of the, or on one of them boats with like the country's flag on the back, right? Where it's just like that. That's where I'm at. All right, yeah. it's gonna be sunny and there's never gonna rain, and that's where I'm gonna be for about three months. Boo boo, uh, traversing the Polynesian Islands on Boris's boat with him. I'm out. Whew, let's go to the next segment, man. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about playoffs.
This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Hey, man, I think I'm going to take the over on Nuggets-Lakers because that's how I feel. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. one 877 or text HOPENY to 467-369 New York 21 and older in select states first online real money wager only $10 deposit required refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see full terms at fanduel.com backslash sportsbook FanDuel is offering sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG Colorado Iowa Michigan New Jersey Ohio Pennsylvania Illinois Tennessee see Virginia 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 Arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net West Virginia and we are back ladies and gentlemen a couple podcast episodes ago I asked if if Jimmy Butler got mind control over motherfuckers like the Celtics. And the answer is unequivocally yes. But Raja, not only do I think that Jimmy Butler has mind control over the Boston Celtics, I think one Coach Spolstra has even more mind control over the Celtics. Raja, what did you see in game one of the conference finals? I, I don't know that I have to, but in case anyone out there should feel that I that I need to, I apologize to the Miami Heat. I do. I am sorry. Now, I, I, I picked Boston, but and I qualified it by saying I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat, because of all of the you know stability and Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra and, and all of those things, right? Even in that space, I failed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry because they're just fucking tougher than Boston. They just wanted it more. I mean, I don't mean to boil this down to <laughs> toughness. You know what's funny, Logan? Sorry, time out. I do this all the time with basketball teams. You know, I do it. The ones that I coach, they'll come into a huddle. They're looking at me for answers. They're looking and I'm like, I don't have an answer for you other than they just want this more than you. They seem to be handling their business in a way that you aren't. I can't give you a play. So as I watched last night and I went rewatched again this morning, just, just so I, you know, listen, it could get late at night. Like I got, got a glass of bourbon. I mean, I don't know. Maybe what I saw isn't exactly what happened. So I went back and rewatched it. They just came out and acted like they cared and wanted it more than the Celtics in the third 
quarter. And then when they tapped back in, they were rattled. Miami, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler has this weird ability to just conduct a game. He, I don't, I mean, he conducts a game. I'm thinking of people who, who just conduct, like Steve Nash looked like a conductor out there, right? Chris Paul, um, too. Chris is, Paul is looks like a conductor. Yeah, these are names of people that just, the game goes as they go. And but he that's might not, usually a point guard, though. You know what I'm saying? LeBron what I'm saying. is another one. John Stockton, guys like that who just, like, just could word exactly what you're saying, but they're usually point guards. Right. Mark Jackson, like, that's those are names. Jason Kidd, like, he's got this yep. weird ability to, to, to like, and, and it's really even deeper than that, Logan, because it's so cool to watch. And I, I, like, it's when they're playing well and he doesn't need to do it, he just, he just steps back and, and the heat go. And you see, like, you know, Kyle Lowry hitting threes and Kevin Love out on the break hitting threes and, and, uh, you know, uh, Caleb Martin hitting threes and Caleb Martin not only hitting threes, but doing like other shit, bro. Did you see that fucking move that Caleb Martin did? Like, where he, he paused, bro, he paused he, in the air. Yes, bro. He pump fakes fucking Marcus Smart, goes under Marcus Smart's feet, and then does an up and under on the other side. What the fuck, Caleb Martin? That was if any, nice. If anybody had a picture of that from from the from the heat uh, from from like the scores table, that's a phenomenal shot because he was like paused oh, yeah. in the air with the ball. That was but some anyway. Michael Jordan shit. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's all good because that was a phenomenal move. But Jimmy but- Jimmy Butler just controls the game when he needs to control the game, and uh, you know, I, I I rewatch. First of all, I mean, there's a lot here, man. So just let me rant. I know that Joe Masula he he does not like call timeouts. Everybody, everybody, fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> like, man, you're de- you're up 10 going into half. I you see it with Steve Kerr and all of those great coaches, man. You're up 10 coming out of the half. That thing gets down to four and they just cashed out another three. Timeout. Stop. Wait, hold up. You know, and the fact that you could get up at your press conference post game and say we were prepared, which I they were. They came out ready to rock, getting downhill, assaulting the rim. And then say we let go of the rope. You know that and didn't stop play to help them regain the rope. That's crazy to me. So, so like, you know, like you come out in the third quarter, you're not ready to play. You're not getting at the rim anymore. I think they look tired. Could that be a thing? Could it, could it be, could it be that they were fatigued from the Philly series? Because everything that they were doing in the first half with, with, with offense in terms of getting at the rim, um, putting pressure on it, collapsing the defense, they stopped doing. Jason Tatum was standing and watching. I mean, watching. I just rewound. I had to freeze it multiple times. Let's say you're not going to be a focal point of the offense. Why? I don't know, coming off of 51. But Jason Tatum has the ball deep in the right corner. You're up on the left wing with Jimmy Butler guarding you, right? You're two passes removed. Jimmy Butler is essentially standing on the elbow with both eyes looking at Jalen Brown as he backs a, de- a defender down into the paint. Jason Tatum is standing 34 feet away from the from the play, just watching. Bro, you're supposed to back cut his ass and be on top of the rim. They just look like they fell asleep at the wheel, bro. I'm giving you the ball back in the post. I just, you just, pat, I'm just getting, I got it back. I'm about to give it back to you in the post. Zero back. field goal attempts in the fourth quarter for Jason Tatum, the fifth time in his postseason career, throwing the ball back at you in the post. Unconscionable. Can't happen. You talk about stars having to be stars. I don't care if they're not calling plays for me. Yo, give me the ball. I don't care. There were multiple possessions where he was standing there like wanting the ball. And I look, I think Marcus Smart is great. Al Horford's a great story. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, F all of that. Get out of the way. Give me the ball. I, I, you don't have to like me right now. We'll fight about this later, bro. But right now, get you better not touch that ball. Give me that goddamn ball. Right. And I didn't I didn't see that out of him in a way that in the Eastern Conference finals, I, I need to see that mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? If wa- just watch the game, just watch the, the amount of times that the Boston Celtics players had the ball coming off some kind of action and a Miami Heat defender was right up in his space not giving him any room to do anything. You saw it multiple times when Jason Tatum did get the ball late in the game. Trying to get into his bag, and Max Struess is like, "Nah, I'm not. Uh, uh-uh. uh, Max fucking Struess, like, no disrespect, but not known, not known for his defense. Like, but, but just that level of yo, I'm up under your feet. Uh, 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 here I am. Like, 
put Jason Tatum into this weird way and ran him right into trouble. Now you travel because Caleb Martin's ready for the, you know, the, the Celtics on the flip side of that, we're playing six feet off of ball handlers, man. Like hands in the air. Look, I call it scarecrow defense. You're not affecting shit. You're just standing there with your hands in the air, dude. This is the Eastern Conference fucking finals. Like what's going on? And so, I, 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 I mean, I should have known because I said it. I just didn't have the guts to go out there and tell you that the Heat are just tougher than them. Now, they might not beat them, but the Heat just get it a little bit more. Like Kyle Lowry gets it. You know, Jimmy yeah. Butler gets it. Caleb, they get it. And a lot of times, far too often in these playoffs, the Celtics, who I still believe are the more talented team, mind you, they just don't get it, and they don't consistently get it. Here's the thing, man. And also, that was a phenomenal. You just, you just, you just told us me, Kai, Kerm, the rest of the Ringer staff to get on one side, and you just cooked. That was a great job. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that an observation that I have seen from the from the Boston Celtics, from you know being around them, seeing them a little bit in the finals last year, seeing them a little bit this season, and seeing them throughout the playoffs, they have the propensity to cat off so much where at times they're dominant and in other times they're like, wow, how the fuck did you lose that game? Like the one time that I saw them, the first time that I saw them this season was at chase center where first time that you were facing the warriors since the warriors beat you in the finals. Mm-hmm. That was remember when the balls and Celtics were going on that crazy run to start the season. I forget how many games they won in a row. They go into to the Golden State. If I'm not mistaken, Steph was out. And the Warriors beat the brakes off the Celtics at home. Those types of losses can't happen, right? You get what I'm saying? Where this team punched you in the mouth. That was the first inkling of this, of this Celtics team, right? And then they go into the postseason, and then they just like hella cool with it, like we're supposed to be here. And they consistently have gotten punched in the mouth. Now... They, to your point, they're better than a lot of teams. They're probably the most talented team left that we have in the league, right? I mean, that's, that's not even hyperbole. Yeah, I think so. And, th- and then what I think happened is that because they're the most talented team in the league, they feel like, oh, we're going to be cool. We're just going to waltz. It's a very immature thing to, to, to attitude that they've been having. And then they finally got a team that says, no, fuck that. Fuck y'all. We are here and we can beat you. We can actually beat you. And I think that if the Celtics don't get on their shit, it's going to be a long, long series, and Miami might have another finals appearance. It could get ugly that way because did you see walking? Because, you know, you're about the the strategy and I'm about the vibes. The vibes told me, Roger, there's a clip right after the game where they pan to Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler has this look on his eye like, yeah, we were supposed to do this shit. We expected yeah. to do this shit. Winked over and at the bench. Winked over at the bench, walked his ass very slowly and very scarily to the locker room like, yeah, it's all good. There's more where that came from. You just watch. Listen, man, it's tough because if if even if Boston wins in game two, they still got to go to Miami and, and 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 it's proved that shit, which is a hard place to play hard place in the to postseason. Play. Hard Very place hard to place to play. It don't get the respect it deserves, but Miami Heat fans be getting it popping and they feed off of that crowd, especially if they get deeper into the postseason. Yeah, it's fucking, it's hard to play Look, in Miami. It's hard for me to argue. I mean, yes, Miami has taken control of this series. That's what, I mean, it's one game in. But that's what you do when you come out on someone else's home floor and you take game one. You you've got control of this series now. I mean, shit, you're playing with house money in game two. Don't fuck around and miss a couple shots, Boston. In game two, I got nothing to lose if I'm if I'm Miami. You thought I was scary in game one. I got nothing to lose now. We're one game up. I get to go home. I'm counting those two. So don't let me get game two in Boston. But I think you're right, and I I am about strategy, but I'm also about vibes, Logan. I am about vibes because that's what I preach to teams that I play on, that I coach. Um, you know, if if I could get mind control, if I could bully you, bro, I'm a bully you. That's what Kobe. That's what Kobe was about. People ask me all the time, "What happened with Kobe?" You know what happened with Kobe? Kobe. If Kobe could bully you, Kobe was going to bully you. That that's what greats do. They say, "Man, this is cake. I'm taking it." 
You know who else does that? You know who else does that? LeBron James. You know who else does that? Giannis. You know who else does that? KD, Steph. Everyone, if they get a chance to fucking kick you while you're down, they're going to do it every single time. And that's I don't what know they if do. the Celtics have developed that yet, bro. That's, my, that's my biggest problem with that. Like, yo, to your point about last segment about motherfuckers being too nice, I think Jason Tatum being too nice. I really do. I think like, no, he sh- there's some times where he's like, he has like, I'm the MVP. I I, I should have won it. But there's other times where he does shit like this, where it's just like, oh, why am I not? I can't shoot in the fourth quarter. They got, I'm going to pass it to Al Horford. Like, I need them to fucking lock in. You're absolutely right. And so I was saying with the Kobe situation, like that's that's how he was. And you're right. All the rest of them were like that. But as, as it pertained to last night, you know, and 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 drawing a comparison to Kobe, like if things didn't go well for Kobe down this stretch and his teams were getting beat, I mean, you might see them complain about a foul, but you didn't see all of that flopping and throwing your body around. The Celtics looked like they were they were getting beat up and they were begging for call. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see that shit. Like we're going to go down swinging and punching and the same Tuesday in January. Fighting. This is the Eastern Conference motherfucking finals. Logan, perfectly put, dude. That's what it looked like. It looked like they had gotten run down in a meaningless game in January and didn't have the juice to really fight it out and started kind of like, hey, man, do you time out? I do this a lot. Listeners, I'm sorry. I'm getting midway through a thought. Clear out. And it Boom. brings me to something else. Do you know how different it is? The difference of, of, of space for an NBA player. When I give you two feet, 24 inches of space, it expands your bag immeasurably. You get into anything you want to get into. Your whole repertoire is at your disposal. I shrink that shit by 18 inches. And now you're working with half a foot. You ain't got nothing at your disposal. Now you're dancing, backpedaling. And Boston didn't fight for that foot and a half. Boston was like, nah, you got it. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you 36 inches. Take three feet. And Miami was like, bet. And go watch the possessions down the stretch with Boston with the ball and see how much space those fuckers got. That's that's a team that's locked in. Like Miami is about that life. Miami gets, gets it in how they live. Like they don't just talk about that shit. They eat what they kill. Correct. And it doesn't mean you can't beat them, but it means, boy, you better meet that at all times. You better be on that with them or they'll beat you. Yeah. Fuck. We got to talk a little bit about what we got for game two, man. You know what? I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick Miami. Fuck it. I'm picking Miami. No, no don't do it. that. No, nope, I'm doing do it. Fuck it. I'm doing all it. Right. I'm just, I'm, no, just because of I'm just how how disgusted I was with the Celtics, and I just don't even want to. Fuck it. I don't care. I'm going it's a spiteful, Miami. It's it. a spiteful it's a pick. It's a spiteful pick. It's a spiteful pick. <laughs> <laughs> Spitefully picked. Listen, I've been wrong. I don't even. Who gives do, a fuck? But, I mean, I do because. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I can't get it right. Boston will win game two in Boston, man. There'll be too much on the line. Um, if if those guys, I mean, even if they're not ready to win a championship right now, just pride alone, I mean, you're not going to come out and drop two games in Boston. Boston will win game two. Now, I can't speak for three and four yet, but I think Boston wins game two. Let's go for the game tonight. Nuggets-Lakers, where the narrative right now is, yeah, Nuggets won, but the Lakers have found something. Yeah. Is that overblown, Roger? Yeah. Because also, my thing is this, though. If you found something, you don't go in the media talking about how much you found something. And that's exactly what the Lakers have been doing. um, Yeah, Lakers have been doing it, but so so has Denver. Like, Denver's out there telling you what their strategy was offensively. Like, Like, jeez. What are you doing? But, oh, God. Yeah, the Lakers found something. But, I mean, you think that Denver's just going to be static. Like they're going to look at that on film and say, hey, that looks like it worked for the Lakers. Let's not have an answer for it. Right. <laughs> let's, not, let's not prepare ourselves at all for what that's going to look like. But I think more importantly, if I'm a Laker fan, I mean, this is it's so funny how depending on what uniform you're you're wearing. I, I mean, I really did think that Denver was in full and complete control of that game. Like Firing on yeah. all cylinders, hooping. It looked like they played as close to their best um, or closer to their best than the Lakers did. And then the Lakers are sitting right there. Down yeah. three with 45 seconds to go in the ball. 
And so if I'm a Laker fan, honestly, this isn't just, you know, I, I, if I was a Laker player, I would have been at breakfast the next morning. We all come down. Everybody got a little crust in their eyes. We're, they're eating. We know we're going to see some film. Some of those mornings are really tough. Everybody's feeling low, ain't looking at each other, not a lot of chatter. And other mornings, people come down and, you know, hey, I got a coffee, brother. How you feeling? We look good. Like, I think that was a good morning, it's as good as it can be after a loss. Because you're like, yo, we withstood a barrage of offense and play from different people that don't all ordinarily play great on the same night. And all of that having been said, we still had a shot to win the damn game. How, um, what is the biggest thing you want to see from the Lakers going into game two, right? Because it, on paper, it looks like Jokic dominated AD. And in stretches, I think he did, right? Like, especially early in that game. AD had 41 and 41 and 10. He just needs to rebound better at this point, right? Is that where we're at right now, where just AD needs to rebound better? Because he can't. He's one of the few guys that when you see up against Jokic that he can he can match that energy he can match that talent he can match that rebounding prowess is it is it just a matter of him just being more focused on rebounding more going into game two or what do you want to see from Anthony Davis and by extension the rest of the Los Angeles Lakers yeah well you can't you I mean you certainly can't get doubled up on the glass I mean I I mean I doubled up but I mean it was like roughly 50 to 30 you can't you can't you can't do that so yes we're going to have to rebound the ball better I'd like AD to be you know, that more involved defensively around the rim in a way that they kind of figured out how to get him down there in the second second half a little bit. Like that, you know, needs to be more of a, a presence like he was in that Golden State game. Now Denver makes that more difficult for, you know, for a variety of reasons. But um, I think that if you're, if you're, if you're the Lakers, you got to try to cut, you have to cut off that supporting catch. Jokic is going to do Jokic things offensively. He's one of those guys that you pencil in, you know, like, but, but you can't have 20 from Contavious Caldwell Pope. Jamal Murray had, you know, 31 and, and, you know, you're coming off the bench with Bruce Brown with 16 on some easy forays to the rim. Like, I'm, I don't mean to say easy because he made some big shots, but like wide open lanes, getting down the bucket, giving people extra points that support Jokic's numbers that you got to pencil in. And so I think you got to really concentrate on, on the game plan around the Joker, like, listen, bro, we can't give up all that. He is a two-time MVP. There is no shame in him doing what he does. We yeah. can't let the rest of them play above their normal level against us, or we will continue to lose. A question for you, and this has been a, a, a storyline throughout, and it's always a storyline whenever teams play in Denver, the altitude, right? Now, the altitude definitely affects you in game one. But do you think it'll have an effect on the Lakers in game two in terms of like, because they've been in Denver for a couple of days. I'm sure they're used to it. They got their fluids right. Do you, as the series wears on, how much is altitude actually going to play a part when you are when both teams are kind of going through it as the series goes on? Listen, that altitude always affects you. That's, I don't know that two days is enough. We were stuck out there for a snowstorm one year. Um, and every time we went to practice, we were there for like two or three days. We got stuck in a blizzard and couldn't get out. Every time we went to practice, my lungs burned like they didn't burn in the valley. And where that rears its head, I don't think over where it rears its head is at the beginning of the game. That's when those lungs are burning. That's when it's difficult for like the first five minutes of play yeah. um, until you get that second win. Once you get the second win, you're fine. But it's that yeah. first five minutes of trying to get your win. So, you know, what I always try to do, some people talk about, I think Mike and maybe even Kobe talked about like smoking a cigar or doing something like that. I didn't I didn't really do all of that. I would try to get as close to get as a first win in the warmups as I could get. Mm. I mean, a super hard warm-up so that maybe that five to six minutes that it takes me to get to a second win now becomes like a minute and a half. I'm here. Because I yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm ready to go. But you, you know, everybody's different. So it's always gonna be an issue, Logan, unless you're just out there for weeks. But it's not an issue like in the fourth quarter. It's just an issue at the beginning of the game, usually. How much of that, that like when you go into the Denver fucking arena, how much of that propaganda of like, you're now at 5,280 feet propaganda, like get in your head? Because every time I was like, you know where the fuck you're at. You're in Denver, Colorado, the mile high city. Every single time you go to a Nuggets game, they are not only are you feeling it, they're telling you it's there. You know what's crazy? If you are playing at all in those games, any significant minutes, you don't even hear what's going on on the address. Mm. You don't even hear mm. it. Like yeah. you're, it, it's weird. You're like, 
it really is like being in kind of like zen, this. Huh? Yeah, it's your like you're in your own little flow state, man. You're in your bubble, and whatever's going on outside of the court, either you know audio or visual, like it misses you because you're just in this little bubble. Now, when I was in Philly, and at times when I was in Dallas, when when I was going through stints of not playing, and I knew I wasn't getting in the game, it was almost just the opposite. I can tell you everything that happened with the, the, the dancers, the the PA, the <laughs> how many beers you know my man drank two rows in. But when you're when you're participating, none of that none of that gets to you, man. So that propaganda it, it has no bearing on anything. Those first five minutes of that game, though, will make you feel like your chest is about to explode. It is. Ooh. It feels like there's a fire in the middle of your sternum. Well, all that being said, I got the Lakers winning game too. Who you got, Ra? Oh, Lakers winning game two. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Uh, I think I'm going to take Denver. Wow. I'm yeah. I'm counting on you being I'm counting on you being wrong. So uh, all right, yo, next time, man, next season, next postseason, let's have a running fucking tally of like who's wrong and who's right. Let's do that. And I don't know what they win, but hey, bragging rights all is is great on the real ones. If anyone just has bragging rights, I think that's enough. Yeah, and I support starting next season. By the way, so let's do that. all right man it's thursday y'all know what the fucking vibes are it's time for real one of the week where we point out a person entity or organization that won the week i'm gonna go first i am gonna go with the san antonio spurs the staff record label and a motherfucking crew because i knew raza was gonna do it so i'm gonna do it and bro this real talk though i know i just took your pick but let's just go through this together man that's so fucking cool the spurs are back right and then not only are they back it's serendipitous timing, bro, because every time they get a number one pick, they're back in the game, bro. They get David Robinson, Tim Duncan. Now they're going to go with Victor Wimbignana, bro, from France. He's already a part of the fucking Spurs family anyway, right? Because of fucking Tony Parker and Boo Boo and all these guys. It's so cool. The fucking Spurs are back. I can't wait to go see Spurs Warriors for the last few years, Raja, I have just been ducking the Spurs because I just don't, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care. Every time they're in town, I'm like, well, I guess I'm staying in the crib tonight. Right now, I get to go watch the Spurs play. Like, <laughs> we're here. Let's fucking do it. Let's go. Let's 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 go. Well Victor done. Wimbignana to the Spurs. What do you, who you got, Raja? Well done. My son Ty said to me last night, this is terrible. He said, I'm so mad that the Spurs got Victor Wimbignana. <laughs> <laughs> He was so he was hurt. I saw it in his face too. He was pissed. He was like, "I hate watching the Spurs." Um, anyway, my real one, and, and as I pivoted, like you also touched on his name is going to be boo, one Boo Boo Boris Diaw, because mm. Boris years ago, um, how old's Victor right now? Like nineteen. Nineteen. So my son had to be like in the third grade. He's in the ninth grade. So Victor was probably twelve or thirteen years old, and Boris was messing around down here in South Florida. Didn't call me. I saw it on Instagram. He was here or something like that. And I was like, yo, let's grab lunch. He came out, went down to the beach, chopped it up. And as we were sitting there and Boris starts talking about this kid, that's going to be an absolute freak. That's going to be the first pick in the NBA draft at some point. And he didn't have any video and or anything like that, but he and just, just thought this is French uh, propaganda is basically what you're thinking. Right? Yeah. He would, you know, Boris is heavily involved with the French national team. So, you know, I think he's there, might be there like GM or something like that. But anyway, he was raving about Victor Webanyama, all this skill set, this length. I mean, the kid probably wasn't seven four at the time, but he just told me he was the next greatest thing out of French basketball and that he would be the first pick in the NBA draft. And for that, I'm gonna give Boo Boo Boris Dial my real one of the week. You know, Boris, when this pick was made, you know the first thing he did? He took his scarf. And he threw it on the other shoulder and flipped just it. Like, and he flicked it to the other shoulder <laughs> and just disappeared into the night. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bro, bro, it's gonna be fun. I think this is gonna this is this is gonna be great, dude. Hold on, let me just tell you. Like, no, 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 listen. Fuck it, let's do my, it. Fuck it. I told here. you, like Boris is regular at Sun shoot arounds. Have I done this? It's been years, so I might have told this story before. Like you'd be down there shooting around, getting it in. Like me, Eddie House, LB, getting down there, getting shots up. I mean, they're 30 minutes before shoot around, getting a lather. Like, like, yo, big game tonight, dog. So, you know, everyone's getting done shooting and you go over and you sit around this board at the time to get your, uh, you know, get your little uh, script. Like, you know, here's what we're going to do. Game plan. Here, here's what we're going to do. Boris hadn't been seen yet. 
only as Boris can, you see him coming down these steps, you know, kind of sloughing his feet, like not really picking him up with a fucking cappuccino. This was daily, mind you, with every home game, with a cappuccino, <laughs> like stirring and mixing his cappuccino before we go in. Yes, just like that. Before we go in to shoot around, this is Boris. And he's going to sit there and drink that cappuccino while Mike D or, or whoever is going over their game plan. And then he just roll out and, and go through shoot around. Fucking Boris. What a fucking legend, bro. That's my favorite. Ep- I think that's one of my, that's probably my favorite episode that we've ever done. If you guys got time, man, go back and go to listen to our Boris Diaw interview on, on um, Rowan's. I would love to talk to you more, but Third Eye Kai has a, has a hard out, so we got to get the fuck out of here. Um, that has been another edition of Real Ones, our Thursday edition. We do this Mondays and Thursdays. Y'all know the motherfucking vibes. We'll see you Monday. Have fun. Tap in. Watch all the playoffs. Ah, ah. Talk soon. Bye.